Talk 104. What a good Thursday morning, friends. Hope you're all doing well. It's a bit cold. We will have a sunny day. Look at that here in a few moments. Tomorrow morning, 24 hours from now, we will be broadcasting live from Scramblers. The Friday Road Show is sponsored by the good people at Affordable Towing. And then later on, 4 to 6, we're going to have a happy hour. Uh, we had our lunch bunch there yesterday, as we do every Wednesday. Recommend if you have not had lunch, hadn't not had a dinner at Retro Metro. It's uh, it's a fantastic place. It is so good, and I love uh, bringing new folks there. Our lunch bunch winner yesterday. None of them had been there before, and um, and really loved it. Um, while I have my personal, fa- I, I really do. I'm not just saying this to promote them, but every single thing I've had on the menu so far is fantastic, and. Um, we, on Wednesdays, do a lunch bunch. You register. If you win, we'll contact you. We'll set up your Wednesday uh, lunch with uh, with Sarah and me, and then uh, you get to invite five people to come along with you. It could be friends, coworkers, family, combination of three if you'd like. In the meantime, we do have our happy hour tonight, 4 to 6. It's come and go as you please. I don't get off work till 5. I couldn't get there till 5.30. That's fine. No problem at all. And if you're doing dry January, which many people are doing, still come by. Um, of course, they have all sorts of other non-alcoholic beverages. But in addition to that, a delicious dinner menu. And, and then they have a sort of a um, uh, happy hour menu, I suppose, as well with uh, you know fare that isn't a full dinner. I suppose would be the best way to describe it. And it's just an opportunity for us to hang out. And it's primarily for me an opportunity to uh, just hang out with y'all and get to know some of you. Because you get to, get, you get, every day you get access to me. But I don't oftentimes get access to you. And it just doesn't seem fair. By gosh. And this is a way for me to do that. Christy Fulnacki will be joining us in the eight, or sorry, make that seven o'clock hour this morning. We're going to get you updated also on the latest with the Speaker of the House situation. Um, the I, I'll tell you this. I evaluate my own emotional reactions to things. And like virtually every human being, you, you have an emotional reaction to things. That, that It's that, that initial uh, jump, right? And what oftentimes divides people is you have people politically generally – on uh, the the left, and that's what they go with. You know, it's like gas in a vehicle. Your emotions are gas in a vehicle, and and a vehicle without a steering wheel, in which you just hit the gas, and that's your emotion, right? Uh, is of course chaotic. No direction, no rhyme or reason. You have no idea where you're going to end up. Your the steering wheel is is intellectualism. Okay, 
that is the ability to control your emotions. Uh, that is the ability to to think through things, to analyze things. And and you have the spectrum. You have those on the left, of course. Like I said, they have no steering wheel at all. Uh, you you have uh, you know some people uh, on the other side that might overcorrect with the steering wheel. Uh, you have people in the middle that uh, sometimes they're texting, not paying attention too much, and so forth. And and point being is. There are those of us, and I like to think of myself in this category, that I got a lot of gas. But I also keep my eyes on the road, and I use that steering wheel. And I got to tell you, as I listen to some of the commentators, some of the Republican Party folks, and they're not all even establishment, the, the language that they are using regarding the handful of Republicans who are preventing us from having a Speaker of the House at this moment, makes me want to stand with a handful of Republicans, just emotionally. (laughs) I mean, I'm hearing words like they're hostage takers. These are for Republicans. I think Dan Crenshaw referred to them as enemies. You know, like I said, these aren't all establishment people, but I'm hearing this stuff, and it's the rhetoric that generally comes from Joe Biden, generally comes from MSNBC, generally comes from Nancy Pelosi, generally comes from the radicals on the left. And I, and it's ironic because it's the that group of Republicans that want to get this done and over with and just get McCarthy in there, which I understand. Some of their rhetoric is claiming that, well, I mean, the Democrats, this is just what the Democrats want. You all are handing them a victory. You all are giving them what they want. And I'm thinking to myself, you're using the same language they are. You're morphing into them when it comes to describing people that don't fall in line. So you may point to the 5, to 10, to 18, to however many Republicans that are are in the way here um, as, as giving the Democrats what they want, but you all are acting like them, at least in your treatment of those with whom you disagree. And the, the extreme name-calling, I, I mean, that's the thing, and this has become prevalent throughout our society. The, the, I'm not a person who likes measured response for the sake of measured response. But there is no measured response in rhetoric any longer. They can't just say, yeah, this is very annoying. Um, You know, two days is a long time. That's way too long, in my opinion, for this to be going on. And uh, this is how it's going to inevitably turn out. And these people are a pain in the butt or even, you know, they're they're being crybabies. But it's it's this extreme. Like, oh, my God, the world's coming to it. These people are enemies. These people are hostage takers. I'm like, okay, pull it back. You're sounding like hysterical AOCs. And it is such a turnoff, and it re- and any what here's what it does, and I don't know if it does it for you. I suspect it does for a lot of you. It makes me tune out their arguments. It makes me tune out their arguments the same way I tune out the arguments of environmentalists who tell us we're all going to die, 
or tune out the arguments of of uh, of those who argue that we should have amnesty. And if you disagree with them, well, you're a racist and you think all Mexicans are murderers. And it's like, OK, I'm done listening to you because now you're speaking in emotional hysterics. And some of these comments I'm I'm hearing from the Republicans that are supportive of McCarthy being in the speakership, maybe even just to get it done and over with or because they think it's inevitable, uh, it, it, it makes me start tuning them out. Like, you know what? You're acting. You are the ones. Or at least, I shouldn't say you are the, oh, that they have the sole monopoly on acting like children. Uh, that you know, Some people believe that the Holdouts are acting that way as well, and maybe some are, maybe some aren't. But they certainly, in, in the 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 hysterics, the sky is falling. The the standing in place for Democrats with that sort of rhetoric, that is not mature. And it is a bit of a turnoff. Jason Rima with the latest news. Today is the last day for Springfield's Regal College Station movie theater. The theater has not said why it's closing Regal is owned by Cineworld, which is based in the United Kingdom, and Cineworld filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection last year. Its Joplin location is still open, but at least a dozen other theaters have closed. The GOP-led legislature opened its annual session on Wednesday. Republican leaders say making it harder to amend Missouri's Constitution is a top priority in this year's session. A new state law prohibits homeless people from sleeping on state land without permission They could face up to 15 days in jail and a $500 fine after an initial warning. About two-thirds of states approved permanent tax cuts or one-time rebates last year. Income tax cuts means less money will be withheld from workers' paychecks in Missouri and eight other states. Kansas reduced its sales tax on groceries. Iowa is moving toward an eventual flat tax. I'm Jason Rima, Springfield's Talk 1041. All right, here is the first alert forecast. A sunny day today, a high of 45. It's pretty chilly out there right now. You got uh, 31 and the wind making it feel at times like it's 20, 21. Tonight, clear, 29 for a low. Tomorrow, cloudy, 51, 53 with some sun on Saturday and Sunday. Mostly sunny, a high of 46. You're listening to Nick Reed in the morning on Springfield's Talk 1041. to share a piece with you at this time that is written by a gal, her name is Carol Markowitz, and she was born and raised Soviet Union, came to the United States, actually I believe works for the New York Post or has, and she wrote a piece regarding her and her family, and they were proud entire lives, well, once she came here legally to the United States because, oddly enough, some people are able to find that pathway to citizenship that we're told doesn't exist. Um, and and at some point, as much as I just love New York, love, love, love New York, ended up moving to Florida. And she has written a piece. It's been a year since we left New York for Florida. Here's what we learned. And I think this is just so incredibly insightful. On New Year's Day, New York Governor Kathy Hochul was sworn in for her first full term. In the speech that followed, she said, quote, we must and will make 
our state safe. We have to make our state more affordable, and we must reverse the trend of people leaving our state in search of lower cost and opportunities elsewhere. The government of New York is choosing not to understand why people are fleeing her state. I know because I was one of them. A year ago, my husband and three children got on an airplane, moved to Florida, and never looked back. Our move had made the news. I'm a columnist at the New York's storied newspaper, the New York Post. But more than that, I had long been New York's greatest champion. My family had arrived in Brooklyn in 1978 from the Soviet Union. Raised in Flatbush, then Bensonhurst, I returned to Brooklyn after college to live in Greenpoint. I made the big move to the city when my career started taking off, and I lived on the Upper East Side. I moved to the Upper West when I married my husband, also a lifelong New Yorker with a similar story about an immigrant family from Israel growing up in the boroughs, being Queens. We eventually moved back to Brooklyn, to Park Slope, and planned to raise little New Yorkers in the dream home we built for ourselves. Ours was the classic story of the American dream, and making it in America's gateway, New York City. Then COVID hit. We saw a lot of people flee in the early days, but we never considered leaving. This was our home, and fear of a virus would not push us out. We had survived 9-11, the blackouts of 2003, Hurricane Sandy. New York would bounce back. We believed, of course, it would. It wasn't the virus that killed our New York dreams. It was the political reaction to the virus. The George Floyd riots in the summer of 2020 shook us, but not nearly as much as the response from public health officials saying the protests were okay, or the politicians covering for the destruction of cities around the country with woke platitudes. Every conversation seemed to take a similar path. COVID was a giant danger, we were constantly told, so you must do what we say. Schools in New York City couldn't open, obviously, well, except private schools. Our public school kids needed to be kept extra safe. And masks needed to be worn all the time. It was necessary, yes, even outdoors. But then Governor Andrew Cuomo was almost never photographed in a mask, and his successor, Hochul, who kept masks on toddlers until the middle of 2022, was rarely seen in one either. My husband and I sat on a Long Island beach that summer of 2020 and said words we could never have imagined. We've got to go. We have to get our children out of this. But we didn't go because leaving the place that you've loved for so long, where your family lives and where your dream of your life was supposed to take place is harder than it sounds. When schools went from their ridiculous part-time model to fully clothed or closed in November of 2020, that's when we got semi-serious about actually getting out. We got a vacation rental in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, an area that we hadn't even heard of before, and enrolled our three children in the local public school. For nearly five months, we lived a New Yorkers or the we lived a life New Yorkers like us could not even imagine. The kids went to school every day. We went out to dinner. We never wore masks outdoors. It was normal, and normal was glorious. 
During that stay, I interviewed Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for the first time, and he said words many New Yorker leaders would never say. He talked about putting children first. How important it was for him personally that schools opened for Florida kids. And how he was ready to fight for the kids. Meanwhile, in New York, the politicians were also fighting to give teachers unions whatever they wanted at the expense of kids. We went back to New York in May of 2021, and we still were not ready to abandon New York. We had one foot out of the door, but one foot still in our dream Brooklyn home. Maybe we could make it work. Schools did not open for full-time learning in the fall of 2021, but masks were still required, even outdoors, even though Dr. Anthony Fauci himself at that point had said that it was unnecessary. My kids ate lunch on the ground, outdoors, urged to mask between bites, while the elderly Governor Hochul traipsed the state maskless, eating as a normal person living a normal life. Meanwhile, crime was continuing to spike, but conversations around the crime wave were much like the conversations around COVID. There was correct language and correct ideas. The multi-million dollar townhouse on my block still had their defund police signs in the windows. Police were bad and crime, well, did it even really exist? Talking about crime was racist. Talking about ideas on how to fight crime was racist. It was better to not speak at all. So many people did just that. We ha- why have a fight in a Facebook group to say that you were worried about crime when people would just shut you down with numbers saying that crime wasn't really that bad or that concern about crime showed that you were privileged? It was easier to just be quiet and move away. Many people did just that. There wasn't one moment that broke us and severed our ties to our home city, but a million little things. My middle son struggled with masking and would often get in trouble for having it under his nose. Again, while outside in nearly 2022. Our youngest was falling behind academically. The mask was stunning his verbal skills. He was hard to understand and was having trouble understanding his teacher. In November of 2021, American Federation of Teachers President Randy Weingarten was photographed maskless indoors. In her defense, she tweeted, quote, I wear a mask most of the time indoors. We took them off as people were having a hard time hearing us. Well, yes, that's the problem with masking. My son had a hard time being heard in school for years. For years. And she did not care whatsoever. But again, hypocrites will be hypocrites. It was the silence from my fellow New Yorkers about stuff like this that was impossible for us to take. There wasn't one moment that broke us and forced us to finally make the move. We made the decision in late November of 2021, and by early January, we were on that plane to Florida. We landed in our short-term rental. The kids started school, maskless, for the second half of the school year. We were done. We are free. A few months later, Governor Hochul would urge Republican New Yorkers to, quote, jump on a bus and head down to Florida. She included the dig that they're not New Yorkers. Her spiteful, hateful leadership caused people to do just that. 
Now, as the news hit in the New York Post last week that over 2,000 millionaires fled New York during the pandemic, she has to beg people to stay. These millionaires, though, they didn't leave in search of lower cost and opportunities elsewhere. They left because of her leadership. They didn't suddenly realize that Florida had no state income tax. They saw the writing on the wall for New York just as we did. I appreciate the poetics of Hochul's latest comments and appreciate even more that I get to do that from afar. A question I get asked a lot is if I have any regrets about the move now that COVID is over. New York continues, though, to have COVID restrictions aimed specifically at children. My son's Brooklyn public school continues to do all of their uh, school events outdoors. A recent one was held while it was 45 degrees. Parents who haven't been vaccinated for COVID-19 are not even allowed inside the school building still today. It's 2023. We know the vaccine doesn't control spread, and yet some parents haven't been inside their kids' classroom since 2020. It is madness, and it continues. There's also the additional fear that masking could be implemented at any time. When Philadelphia and Boston discussing masking in schools, New York parents tell me they worry that their schools will be next. It's a worry Miami parents simply don't have because of Governor DeSantis' leadership. Leadership matters. Because our move was so public, I've heard from people all all across the country. I've heard their struggles in leaving their families, their hometowns, their dreams of a certain life for themselves and their families. It wasn't just New Yorkers fleeing. People across the country left for similar reasons. And they just did not, they did not just end up in Florida either. Texas, North Carolina, many other states picked up the refugees yearning for a better life. Not everyone I hear from is fully happy with their move. Some aren't sure that they landed in the right place, but I have yet to hear from anyone who is going back. The great majority of people who contact me are like us, full of gratitude and happiness that we got to sanity, to safety, to normalcy. We'll always love New York and wish for it to return to its former glory. But we'll do that wishing from the sunshine state that has become our family's home. Every year, our family celebrates the day we came to America. July 20th is our America-versary. On January 3rd, our family will celebrate one year as Floridians. The concept is similar. Pursue freedom and celebrate where you find it. Springfield's Talk 1041, I'm Nick Reed. You're listening to Nick Reed in the Morning on Springfield's Talk 1041. traffic here in just a couple of moments. We'll get that piece posted that I was reading, and if, if you missed any of it, it was from a gal who actually works for the New York Post, and um, she grew up in the Soviet Union, immigrated to the United States, and essentially fled New York as much as she and her husband hated. I mean, they loved New York. That was the American dream. She built a life there, a family there, a career there. Uh, but in the last couple of years with COVID restrictions and crime, and, and not just that, but what she noticed is what uh, I infer she knew from her time in the Soviet Union growing up there was that it, it was more that so many people around her, so many citizens just 
obeyed and sat quietly. And not only that, but echoed what the authoritarians in government did, that you, you know, don't ask questions. If you ask questions, you're anti-science. If you ask questions or want to solve crime, you're racist. And that mentality, and, and then going to visit Florida and experiencing freedom once again. And what's just remarkable to me about it, particularly given that she fled the Soviet Union to come to the United States for freedom, for freedom and then fled New York to go to Florida in order to once again flee tyranny and get freedom. And it, it's somebody who knows what that's like and that and to listen to the reasons why, to listen to the comparisons between states that are run by Democrats like Hochul and in and, and New York. And, of course, I mean, California, uh, Chicago, all of the deep blue states have similar leadership and similar attitudes about political dissent. And it's just, it really is sad. It is, it, it is genuinely sad to recognize that here in the United States, what it is that people have fled to come to the United States decades ago, to places like New York, they fled tyranny. They're now fleeing those states for the exact same reasons and ending up in states like Texas and Florida. I would also note it says, I think, something that Missouri is not one of the states you see on the map. You notice when they, they'll they show these maps, I saw one yesterday, and it shows the net losses, net gains, and, and she also mentioned North or South Carolina, and there are a number of states that are seeing gains. And while I'm not saying Missouri in any way, shape, or form is a, is a New York or a Jersey or, or a California, but it, you know, it, it's, it's very disheartening that we live in a, quote, deep red state. Yet when you see that map that's put up, when you read stories about people fleeing uh, the, the, the tyranny of states like New York, uh, Missouri is not a state that you hear mentioned to the degree that it's just like obvious, the cliche of a Florida or a Texas. I, I think that, that, that tells us something. And it's an unfortunate something. You're listening to Nick Reed in the Morning on Springfield's Talk 1041. Springfield's Talk 1041. I am Nick Reed. I want to encourage you to um, head over to Nick's endorsements and uh, check out Garage Experts. And I, I, most of you are homeowners with garages. And I reference that often because that is. Uh, the work that I had done with my garage. But I'm, this is absolute true story. I had a dream. Last. I'm one of these folks that almost every single night I remember my dream to some degree. Almost every night. Sometimes they're very, very vivid. And they seem like they are hours long, which means they're probably seven seconds. Um, and other times they're just sort of glimpses. But I specifically remember last night having a dream and I was in some factory or, or some – I don't even remember the facility if it was a restaurant. It was just a, a commercial building of sorts. And they had flooring that was bland. And whomever it was that I was with, I said, they need to call garage experts. 
just because garage is in the term does not mean that it's limited to garage. There are a number of different businesses. Um, I believe even I, I know some government facilities that because of the durability, because of the the um, impressive look, because of the high level process that garage experts goes through um, putting that down and the ease of 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 uh, maintenance, absolute ease of maintenance. has been one of my favorite things. Um, it, it is the answer to so many of uh, your questions and, and perhaps problems that you have, whether you've got a factory or I- any sort of commercial building. I mean, now, unless you just have carpet as the flooring of your business, I recommend that you at least check out Garage Experts and see that if it is a fit for you, again, under Nick's endorsements at ksgf.com. Sunny day, high of 45, clear 29 tonight for a low, cloudy 51 tomorrow on Saturday, partly sunny with a high of 53. Uh, all right, I want to read a couple of text messages that uh, you all sent in on the American Transmissions talk and text line regarding uh, the the um, some of the comments I made about the continued choosing of Speaker of the House. And, and then I'm going to give you the latest update because, once again, uh, there is apparently some movement, and it does appear as if there have been some deals that I, I, that is – we're we're hearing anyhow going to lead to a gain in some votes, and if it is accurate, I suspect it'll be from uh, a few individuals like Congresswoman Bobert of Colorado, and I'll explain why that is here coming up in just a couple of seconds. Uh, but one of the things that I talked about, just from that emotional reaction standpoint, as I listened to the stepped up comments or rhetoric from those who just want to get this done and over with on the Republican side, it makes me emotionally side more or or more so with the holdouts. And and the reason is because they're beginning to use the rhetoric that the left uses against Republicans, calling them enemies, saying that they're uh, using terrorist tactics. I mean, I I think it was Gingrich even talking about how they're they're taking hostages, and I'm like, you blank you, you know, when you start turning on your own, utilizing that same sort of language, I tune you out, and I actually emotionally want to reject you. Uh, all right, so some of the text messages. Here, you'll never see McCarthy fight harder for anything than he is right now, so he can lead the capitulation party. <laughs> Another noting Dan Crenshaw. Dan Crenshaw is 100% establishment, just an eye patch. John McCain. Uh, uh, Crenshaw is one that I, I saw uh, where he referenced these you know, people as enemies. Uh, another noting, they keep nominating people who don't even want the job. The optics make the 20 look as whacked out as the squad. Not saying we should be moderate, but in the big picture, it looks like a bunch of kids arguing. You know, it's funny making the the um, comparison to the squad and how it makes them look that way. But you notice the difference in how the media covers them versus the squad? I mean, the squad on the magazine covers and, I mean, you know, Ocasio-Cortez is brought on as a serious analyst. Uh, But these are a bunch of hard right wing nut job wackos. And and so I'm glad you you referenced that comparison because I think objective people can 
uh, see similarities in terms of their relationships with their particular parties. But the the fact that the media treats the left and their uh, little group as as these holier than thou inspirations, while the Republican Party's uh, grouping of rebels is referred to as I think, in fact, now CNN is referring to them as rebels. Uh, on the Speaker of the House situation, those news outlets that have cast a poor light on the twenty that refute uh, uh, McCarthy's election need to understand it's the difference between getting a good cop for your neighborhood that you can trust or a dirty cop that is on the take from lobbyists. Let's go to, we're going to head all the way down to Texas. Jim, welcome to the show. Is he gone already? Do we lose him? Oh, he's over here. I see. Oh. I'm here. Hey, Jim, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Nick? I'm doing just fine. It's good to hear from you, friend. For those who don't know, Jim's he's he is one of us. He is he's been probably to every event that we've done until he moved to Texas. So it's great to hear from you, my friend. Yeah, I was going to be there for the uh, your last uh, breakfast at uh, at Scramblers, but the weather and all that. God, I didn't get up there until actually Friday oh, night and stayed for a few days and came back. The reason I called, uh, the letter that you read is one of the reasons why I left Springfield. Mm. It, yeah, I don't know if you know it, but uh, in the, the week of Thanksgiving, I had a minor stroke. And I, I had, yeah. was in the hospital for three days. Not one time did they tell me I had to wear a mask. You know, it is so funny. Well, one, wow, I, I guess I never thought about that. But let me read you. It was just this morning, and also in reference to that uh, that editorial I read. And it, uh, let's see, they texted in. It was very simple. Had doctor's appointment yesterday. Had to wear a mask because I'm not COVID vaccinated. Science or feelings? And uh, it, so it's funny that you mentioned that. Very interesting. Yeah, if, if I had been in uh, Missouri in Springfield and I had that stroke, There'd have been a war because I would have told him, no, I'm not wearing a mask. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad that you uh, recovered. And I know um, when uh, I've been informed that you had that stroke, uh, um, you, it's always very worrisome. And I'm glad that you've uh, gotten better. And I'm glad things are going well for you down in Texas. Yeah, it's been been doing great. And uh, whenever I get a chance, I turn you on on the podcast and listen and text in and so I'm down here listening. Oh, hey, I have news for you also here. This is somewhat internal, but, I, you know, that's fine. Uh, I, down there, of course, you relying on the stream, and we have just notoriously, we have trouble with this. I mean, not massive, but these little annoyances of things getting cut off. Mm -hmm. and, and yesterday, we were informed that we were evidently switching to a different provider. So uh, hopefully, Good. yeah, well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Uh, ho hopefully, hopefully it'll get better. Uh, but, some, yeah. you know, you know how that can go. Jim, thank you, sir. It's great to hear from you. Say hi to Valerie for me. Yeah. I'll do that. And the next time we're in Springfield, we'll make sure we're there for a Friday breakfast or something. All right. Sounds good, my friend. Have a great day. All right. You too. Bye now. We're going to get a traffic update here. And then so Carthy has offered opponents new concessions in bid to break Speaker's stalemate, and, and I, I believe there are concessions that, um, among others, Congresswoman Boebert had said, listen, I, I'm telling you, these, if McCarthy would say concede to these particular things, and they're not anything radical by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, honestly, they're things that the Republicans claim that they stand for. 
She has said that, yes, we will. uh, Well, she said I and at least a couple of other members of Congress who have opposed him will vote for him. So he may actually with this, what are we, I don't know, seventh, eighth vote, whatever we're on at this point, uh, make some gains, which he needs because it just appears as if over the last 24 hours he's been headed in the wrong direction, which when momentum is not on your side, that's not a good sign. You're listening to Nick Reed in the morning on Springfield's Talk 1041. So Fox News has a story. Elon Musk tweets support for Kevin McCarthy as speaker vote heads into third day. And and he just tweeted sometime this morning, Kevin McCarthy should be the speaker. Fox News, uh, this is the the top. uh, You go to Fox.com, FoxNews.com. It's the top story. And there's the Elon Musk. And in the background, the Capitol. And you got the Bluebird and breaking news. And I'm telling you, in terms of content overall, compared to all the other major networks and cable networks, Fox still is by far superior. Uh, But I'm telling you, sometimes some of the stuff that they put up is, it's like, is that really, does that really warrant a breaking news uh, uh, identifier and the top story? I mean, (laughs) American Transmissions, talk and text line 447-KSGF to Elkland. Don, welcome. Hi. I call my representative. I live in District 4. Mark Alford is, oh. is my representative. Uh, but I called him yesterday and, and, and asked him to quit voting for Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. And I got an answer. I didn't actually get to talk to him. I talked to his representative. And it was, we just want to get this done and get get going. <laughs> and Isn't that frustrating? I explained to him, this is an opportunity and a yeah. chance for us to change the rules of the game and get some accountability back to the people. And... They just don't buy it. I, I think you need to be encouraging listeners to call our representatives. We didn't just vote them in there to get sucked into the swamp. Right. And that's exactly what's happening. The, the, I, I, I just don't understand. Here, here we, you know, I even asked them just to vote present if you don't want to yeah. you know, vote against McCarthy. Just vote present. Don't vote for him or not for him. Yeah. And they just don't want to do this. And, and, I, and you're right. People do need to contact their um, congressperson, or uh, even if they haven't been seated yet. I know on the 7th, uh, Eric Burleson um, is just newly elected. So he's technically, the, he, there isn't a Congress yet until, but they're the ones who are voting on the Speaker. But it, until the Speaker is chosen, he can't bring in the session and, and so forth. But uh, yeah, there does need to be that communication. And this is where... I guess pragmatically, and I understand the numbers. I I get it. I I understand where they are coming from. I understand their position. I may not agree with it, but I understand it. My frustration, and I think I I would believe your frustration also is, they don't seem to understand ours. They don't seem to understand some of these other members' frustration. They're just very dismissive of it. Well, we just need to move on, and 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 that's where that that's where I know I get the impression that, you know, once they get up there, it's like, no, 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 we just have to move on. We have to do it. And they, they don't hear us. They, they, they don't appreciate or understand us. Uh, even if they're like, listen, I know what you're saying. I totally understand it. But just looking at the whole uh, picture here, uh, we feel like this is how we're going to get there more effectively. But that doesn't seem to be the response from a lot of these Republicans. And in fact, they're turning on us. Um, in, and I don't not specifically in that instance, but some of the rhetoric we're hearing from some of these Republicans that were enemies, that were idiots and so forth. And I'm like, here we go again. 
that was the impression I got oh, yeah. from that phone call yeah. yesterday. Completely dismissive. Like, yeah. we don't really want to hear you. Yeah. This you, is where we're going to go. You don't get it. You don't know how things yeah, are in Washington. They're, they're, yeah. getting, they're getting promised something from McCarthy. They are, they're just afraid to make waves. But that's not what they ran on. I know. They ran on that they were going to stand up for what is right. This is an opportunity in history to change the rules back to the way that they once were and to get control back for the people. And they are totally missing this. Uh, and it, I think it, these 20 that are, are, are standing up are patriots. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're, they're not only speaking for their district, but they're speaking for the rest of us, the minority. Well, yeah, and, and it, is to, it is almost laughable. Because of like what you say, so many of these people do run on standing up for doing what's right, and and we're going to change Washington. And then their response to constituents is, "Well, this is how things are done in Washington. You just don't understand." Yeah, but that's what you said you were going to do differently, and it just it makes you want to pull your hair out. Well, um, I'm sorry to hear that about that response, and uh, you know, I would encourage your listeners to call. Yeah. They they yeah. need to hear our voice. We didn't vote for them to go up there and be part right. of the swamp. Yeah, and I should, and, uh, Don, thank you. I really, and really it, appreciate it. And the it's call. easy. It's an easy phone call. Thank you, sir. So, yeah, it's good you know, to hear five, from you. Five minutes. And I and I do appreciate that encouragement. And I, I would all I would say this: it doesn't have to be a confrontational deal. Listen, here's the thing. Obviously, if you are an elected member. You, to some degree, hopefully, have a sense of where your people are on things. But at the same time, ultimately, how are you to know if you aren't getting feedback, if you don't have constituents calling? Uh, oftentimes, we w- when when the call to make the phone calls to lawmakers is is put out there, it is in response to something that is going on in which we're very angry. And so it's more of a complaint line is what it becomes. Uh, It's more of a we're calling to vent our anger and frustration. But we don't have to look at it that way. Um, We can look at it, and I I would argue that it's more valuable and more effective to also present it this way, is just, hey, just wanted to let you know this is how I feel about it. I know you're up there because you got to understand all of these guys and gals up there, the – 99.999% of what they're hearing are from other elected officials, from, you know, the inside people and what the commentators are saying and so forth. So that's a lot of noise going on. And I I think it is it's actually our responsibility, um, as Don was saying, because how else can we expect them to know where we stand on these things uh, than to to say, hey, just so you know, I'm I'm wanting to help you out here and give you a little bit of feedback as one of your voters. This is this these are my thoughts, and you know what? You may at times get a response that was something you hadn't thought about. It may actually be insightful, or you may find that it's very dismissive, and and <laughs> and that will give you some insight as well. All right, going to get a traffic update, and then. Uh, well, just continue on. I'm Nick Reed. You're listening to Nick Reed in the morning on Springfield's Talk 1041. Obviously, the vast majority of people listening, particularly over air, in that was a fourth congressional district listener, but many of you in the seventh congressional district, and wondering what's Eric Burleson doing. Called his office, and he, he's you know uh, continuing to support McCarthy. I believe he is he is going to be able to join us on Monday. Um, he right now it's just been 
too absolutely chaotic for him to have any meaningful time uh, to to visit with us. And so right now the expectation is Monday, and then he'll have an opportunity to, to talk with everybody about uh, where he stands, why he's standing there. Now, McCarthy has apparently overnight, ho- hoping here that uh, he's, he's getting some ground. He has offered opponents some new concessions uh, in a bid to break the stalemate. And among them is allowing a single member to call for a vote to oust the speaker. Now, by the way, this isn't a radical thing. This is that has been a, a rule, the so-called rule to vacate the chair, has been in place since the late 1800s. Nancy Pelosi changed it several years ago to where it had to be like party members. She raised the threshold. So even when they were presenting this as they want, you know. It only to take five members. Well, that's higher than it ever had been until Pelosi anyway. So this is actually taking it back to the way that it always was until Nancy Pelosi changed it. But here are the two big ones. And this is what Boebert of Colorado had been saying that she was looking for as well as some other in Congress, that he a pledge to vote on bills regarding term limits and border security. Now, Exactly how detailed those promises have to be and so forth. I don't know how much nuance is in there, but those those are things that you would think were no-brainers for the Republican Party. But I think it also gives some insight into why they are fighting so hard for these concessions. Christy Fulnecki in the next hour. I'm Nick Reed.